Welcome back to Intrepid Healthcare. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle, joined by my friend and colleague, Rayan Thorne. Good morning, Rayan. I'm really excited to bring back a very special guest to our ICD-10 roundtable today. Thanks, Joe. I'm really excited to be here as well. I think this is a very interesting topic that I don't know if we're going to ever get to the bottom of. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we're going to get right to it today, though. We're joined by our friend, Jim Hennessy, the CEO of E4 Services. Jim, welcome back to the ICD-10 Roundtable. Hey, good morning, Joe. Good morning, Rand. It's great to be back. Awesome. Thanks so much for carving out time to be with us and share your insights. Before we begin our discussion, Jim, please remind the audience a little about you and your background. I've been in healthcare IT for more years than I can remember, um, 27-plus years. Uh, last seven years have been serving a leadership role for E4 Services, which is a healthcare IT firm that's helping numerous hospital and healthcare providers throughout the country. Well, tell us a little bit about E4 and maybe some of the fabulous things you're doing for your customers and clients. Uh, thanks, Joe. Yeah, from, real quick from E4, we are helping organizations a host of their major initiatives, whether it's from an EHR implementation, uh, the full program management, through to helping a number of, of organizations, probably around 15 or so organizations nationally as they prepare for ICD-10. But in addition to that, we provide a host of uh, services within clinicals, RevCycle, CDI encoding, and your traditional IT support services. Perfect. Thanks so much, Jim. Sure. Hey, Jim. Thanks again for being here. want to um, step back just a moment because when we last talked with you, there, you were working with a group in New Jersey on ICD testing. Will you please tell us about that group and how it formed and what you're doing now? Sure. I'd love to. Yeah, New Jersey is one of the markets that we do a lot of work within, and they've been one of, I'll say, one of the leaders that I've seen across the country from a statewide perspective in approaching readiness in a collaborative way for ICD-10. They've had a task force that was put together through the Department of Banking and Insurance along with the New Jersey Hospital Association that was established almost two to three years ago. And they were meeting regularly, and it had stakeholders from all constituencies, vendors, payers, clearinghouses, providers, um, that would meet and talk probably about monthly or every couple months about what they were trying to do and, and how can those stakeholders in New Jersey make sure that they're prepared as an organization. And it was probably around four to six months ago, as we started seeing things reactivate with a new date, that there was discussions about, hey, how can we take it down a level and help with lessons learned and more collaboration as it came specifically to testing. Even though they were on different platforms and different approaches, there was a lot of lessons learned, a lot of different activities that were taking place. So we put out a call to all the folks on that larger task force as well as to other providers statewide to see if we can create a a voluntary collaborative of organizations that would meet and talk on a regular basis about ideas and lessons learned and approaches for testing. And that task force has been in place now for about two months. We're actually getting together later this week for our first in-person meeting. We've done a couple through GoToWebinars, you know, through webcasts. And it's been tremendous so far in terms of the interest. I'd say we probably have close to 25 hospital health system providers statewide that are involved with it, about a half dozen payers that are important to the New Jersey market, part of it as well as other vendors and folks that are being real open in terms of sharing where they're at and ideas. And that was one of the main things that we were trying to drive 
with this was if you want to participate, this was about collaboration. It wasn't competitive. It wasn't trying to keep secrets or tell how bad or well you were going. It was really a matter of making sure that we said, hey, here's how here's how we went through and participated, and we were part of the last round of CMS testing. Here's what we saw. Or here's how we're approaching this type of test activity or event. So I'm real excited to get together with some of these folks in person later this week. But so far, even just through the webcast approach, there's been a lot of good sharing, which is something that I think would be fantastic if we could find ways to replicate that within other states. Jim, we know they're really lucky to have you participate in that committee because of your expertise in testing. In fact, that's why we first invited you on our show as a testing expert last year before it got delayed when there was so little talk of testing out there. What can you offer to our audience in terms of a basic approach or a dummy's guide to ICD testing? For those that haven't even started testing, You know, what are the basic four or five steps they need to make sure they check off? Sure. It starts with the most fundamental piece of it is that there isn't just one test event or one type of test that's going to suffice for making sure your organization is ready for ICD-10. It just touches into too many different fabrics of how the health system's operations perform. And the way that I would try to organize it, and we've established this roadmap for testing for ICD-10 a couple of years ago, and it's, and it's holding the, the concepts and theories of it are holding out pretty well, particularly as we're now getting heavier into the actual testing, is to segment out your testing into your impacted systems, technology readiness to or the functions and the compatibility for compliance for IC10 functioning within each system that you've identified is impacted by it. Then in terms of external stakeholders, and this is where we see a lot of the industry talking right now is how can you test with your clearing houses, with your payers, and to what level? And you want to be able to establish that type of payer and clearinghouse testing almost separately. And for hospitals that you know we've seen on average maybe 30 or more systems that are impacted. Um, Many of them are feeders that ultimately feed into your billing system. What we've seen is if you've got your billing system compliant, you can then start participating in some of those external tests, even while you're waiting for all the other feeder systems to get ready. So you don't have to make it totally sequential, waiting for everything to be ready. And that would be probably one of the pieces of advice for folks who haven't gotten heavy into it yet, is don't put together a plan that waits upon having all of the pieces ready before you start doing testing. Segment it out. What systems can you test early? What payers can you do different types of tests with? And then also all the different types of testing you want to do within business processes. Uh, and the prime example of that one is enabling and empowering your HIM organization, specifically within a coding operation, to begin using some of the systems to do some level of dual coding, whether it's in a sandbox or within a standalone test environment, to we're actually seeing some organizations now that are moved along fast enough that they're able to start doing production dual coding, where they're actually able to use the I-10 coding pathways within their encoder and systems and be able to generate both ICD-10 and ICD-9 codes, passing along the nine to allow for production billing, but now building a repository of seeing some comparison analysis to see what are the results. Are we seeing shifts when I start going back and looking at what we learned when we coded in 10 versus 9? It also gives them a chance to see how their coders are doing from productivity and proficiency. So if you try to elevate it back, it's again, is segment out your system technology readiness, your external parties, testing plans, and then the business process pieces. 
Thanks, Jim. Let's shift gears slightly. We've been talking about organizations and third parties. Let's talk about independent physicians and their practices. We're still hearing stories of those that haven't even started the transition projects to ICD-10. What would you recommend to those that haven't even begun the process yet? The first step, and we've had an opportunity through some EMR partners and others to provide some webcasts and give some guidance to a lot of small doc practices that are out there. And the first thing that I would guide them to is go to the roadto10.org, the website that CMS has put together where they've done, a, I think they've done a really fantastic job of trying to simplify and make it manageable to understand what a practice needs to get ready and helps them lay out a plan for that um, that's reasonable and manageable. So I think that would be Step 1A is to review that and have someone within their practice become familiar with it and own constructing the high-level plan. 1B would be to make sure that they're in contact with their patient management system vendor to ensure that they don't already have the compliant version in place. When will they have that in place? The, the one piece that's a little bit unfortunate is I'm still running across some. Uh, it really, well, the risks are more at that practice level, that we're seeing some practice-level EMR systems um, that are still giving future dates for when they're going to have their compliant version available. And unfortunately, that just kind of builds this catch-22 cycle that we're stuck in that feeds the physician concern um, about their ability to be ready. So I think you know, going to that website for the plan, touching base with their EMR vendor, and then if they maintain the relationship directly with their clearinghouse that their billing operation uses to generate bills or if they use a billing service, make sure that they've got a plan in place for that so that when their systems are ready, they can determine what level of testing can they perform. Jim, you make three great points. They're so great I want to reinforce. The road to 10.org is something that we're starting to hear over and over again as a great resource, so I want to plug that again, road to 10.org, and CMS provides that, and it's it really is a great service out there. The second is EMR readiness. You're way too nice to say this, but I can say it. If your EMR vendor has not given you ICD-10-ready software and they're not going to give it to you in the next five days, look for another EMR vendor. It's way too late. You've got to know what your other options are. The chances of you being able to get to another vendor if you don't start now to get to another one by October is, is going to be lost on us for sure. So with that, we'll take a break, and we'll be right back with our guest, Jim Hennessy, after this message. CTG Health Solutions is proud to have been your trusted advisor for healthcare IT consulting services for over 25 years. In that time, CTG Health Solutions has provided healthcare strategic, technical, and operational consulting support to more than 600 healthcare provider and payer organizations. CTG Health Solutions satisfied clients are supported by some of the most talented healthcare consultants who have chosen CTG Health Solutions as their work home in large part due to the company's outstanding culture. As they say, the proof is in the pudding. CTG Health Solutions was named a Modern Healthcare Best Places to Work company again last year. Find out more about CTG Health Solutions and their world-class culture by liking them on Facebook or stopping by their website at www.ctghs.com. We're back with Jim Hennessy, CEO of E4 Services, and we're having a great discussion. Jim, you've talked a little about, or you mentioned a little about the CMS testing that's taken place. 
I know several of your clients are, have participated, and surely you have some good insights to share about what you've learned and what your clients have learned through that testing and maybe what you've seen out there written about the testing that needs to be supplemented with real facts. Sure, Joe, would love to. Yeah, and I guess one of the things that's important, and only, I've only seen a couple articles that have done a good job of delineating what the outcomes of the different types of testing that's been available and now being offered with CMS provides. And I'll break them up into the category of the technical claims acknowledgement testing versus some of the outcomes of advanced claim testing that we're starting to see from this most recent round in January. CMS has, had, has offered the ability for you know, the past year now for organizations to be able to report upon and to try to test the technical claim acknowledgement piece. Can I get an IC10 claim out of my billing system, either direct or through an intermediary, to CMS, and can CMS acknowledge that they've received and it looks like a validly constructed claim? And they stop right there. So basically, I know that I'm going to be able to get my claims to CMS. What they do with it is a different part, but get it there. And they've been having, they've been able to, fortunately, report a lot of success in that area. They reported back in November that they had processed around 13,000 claims, 87% success rate, and things along those lines there. And even with this most recent, what they call their first round of end-to-end testing in January with a limited number of providers, a lot of the success that they were able to claim had to do with the fact that they were still able to have a lot of success in being able to technically acknowledge and receive those claims. So the good news is, is that we're seeing CMS be able to reaffirm the part that we've been working with them over the past year, and we've had numerous of our customers performing that technical test to get claims to CMS. The, the piece that's a little bit, you know, I'll start with a, a little bit disappointing, at least from what the observation that our customers have seen so far, was what we were hoping to learn from this first round as this is the first time that they were taking it to the next level and show the organizations how they would process, adjudicate, and remit on those claims. And that's where the reports have been a little less clear as far as what percentage really were able to get processed and returned back. And within our direct experience, we know that within the Medicare Administrative con- you know, Contract of the MAC within the New Jersey region, they had a lot of problems being able to process inpatient claims. So we weren't able, while we were able to get the claims in the door, we weren't able to get the results that we hoped to get out, which was how would they remit and process and adjudicate on those. So that part was a disappointment, but it's also... One of the things I think was a major advancement over last year when they were only going to offer this one round of testing is that this is the first of three rounds. And the piece that I was a little disappointed reading some of the reactions from the AMA and others was this expectation of perfection from round one. And that the fact that there were some problems that were identified that will get worked is a reason for cause, you know, cause for alarm within the industry. You know, anyone who lives within testing knows it. You know, you test to find problems, and you test and set multiple rounds so that you can make sure that you address and improve upon those. So, my hope is that they'll be able to do a much better job in round two in April, and then hopefully by the time we're in that July round, um, where there's less time to really react to an October live date, that that's just a reaffirmation that they've brought more providers in and seeing that the processes are back to the 95% expectation that they've reported is, is current production rates. Jim, as the CEO of E4 Services, you serve mid to large healthcare systems. These are your clients. When you look at the overall readiness of the organizations that you serve, your clients, is it there? 
Are they ready? Are they getting ready? What are some of the key lessons learned across all of those projects? What are some of the key lessons learned across all of those projects with your own clients? Sure. And I think that the key thing about a path towards readiness is, are those organizations engaged? Are they back engaged, recognizing that IC10 is a strategic initiative that they need to get back on the table if they've kind of tabled it a little towards the second half of last year? Have they come back in and recognize that we have to put together a plan that gets us ready for this October and not hope and pray that it gets delayed again or take an approach of rolling the dice and just gambling that it's not going to happen. So we're not going to commit resources. All of our customers that we're working with are all fully engaged. They're all in various stages of how ready they are as of right now. You know, none of them would be ready to flip the switch today, but nor are we expecting them to. And that's why we've put together a roadmap that shows major milestones of where we hope to be by the end of the first quarter, by the end of the second quarter, and then as we transition into the third quarter. So in terms of my confidence that the customers that we're working with, we have plans with all of them that show a confident plan of being ready for October. We've got some that are already production dual coding. We have some that their major systems are already remediated and compliant. We have some that have already have a full IC10 enabled hospital CDI program in place. So there's a lot of things that organizations have put in place right now. And right now we're getting ready to roll into second quarter. And second quarter within our roadmaps and plans is where I think the majority of the heavy lifting is going to be done. And that's really going to tell us how ready we are. We don't want to carry a lot of work into the third quarter. We'd like to get the most of it done in the second quarter so that we can deal with the the typical stuff that flies in over the fence at the last minute and, and use that third quarter for dealing with those issues. So I think overall the, the organizations that we're working with are engaged. And when I look at the the interest and involvement of, you know, there's 25-plus hospital health system providers within New Jersey that are participating in this task force, the interest there, and only you know, less than 10, you know, probably maybe a half dozen of them are current customers of ours. So it's a lot of organizations that have an interest outside of the way that we're managing it. We're seeing that the major hospital providers are recognizing that this is something they want and need to start getting ready for. It's encouraging to hear, Jim, that for the most part, your clients are on a great path and are all expecting to, though nobody will be a thousand percent ready on October 1st, be prepared to deal with all the situations that will arise on that date because they substantially tested and improved their processes. So that's great news. Some of the not-so-great news from those of us that are pro-ICD-10 have come out the last week as we record this in the second week of March, Jim, where AMA has brought some information together, banded some practices together that are demanding contingency plans for ICD-10, which isn't such a bad idea. But that brings to mind for me, is there some other alternative implementation approach that the industry should be considering in general or what are you thinking are be our best best path to success or things we should consider for our best path to success sure i think yeah as you hear the um the positions that were represented at that recent capitol hearing on icd-10 earlier in february and then more recently seeing the uh, the letter and recommendations by the ama the only thing I can hope for is that there, I may have read, and some folks may have read, a slight shift in what those organizations were promoting. You know, promoting. Now, previously to this point, it's been all about we need another delay. And what came up more specifically in that hearing is we need another delay so that we can rethink what they believe was a flawed implementation approach. 
that there should be a different way to be able to have the industry transition to ICD-10. For those of us who are representing the organization that put so much into responsibly being ready for this year, the idea of a delay, again, for any reason, is really a death sentence to ICD-10. I just think that you'll lose all credibility and, and any commitment from, from the industry to move forward if it gets a full out for another delay. So what that means then is, and the shift that I started to read into that letter was, them suggesting less about a delay and more about trying to engage CMS in some openness as far as can we at least then talk about making some changes to the transition plan and putting together some contingency plans in advance for the problems that we anticipate are going to happen. And from my perspective, that's a much more productive and constructive conversation and one that I think CMS absolutely needs to engage in. Um, I think they lost an opportunity, and you and I have talked about this in the past, they lost an opportunity last year when the AMA sent a similar letter and request to them. It was probably around this time last year as far as, hey, here's four or five things that if you can't change the date, can you at least consider doing these types of pieces? And and I sense within this more recent letter that they're back to trying to give CMS the opportunity to try to do some of those. And that includes, let's deal with in advance, making sure that there's a process in place for advance payment so that if there are technical issues, you're not leaving these small practices or even the mid-sized providers lacking the cash they need to run their businesses because of technology issues with the claims processing. I think making some grace periods or concessions about the ability to continue use or be able to switch to IC10 but allow for continued use of unspecified codes for some grace period of time without threat of claim denial or being audited. So I think those are types of things that if they can engage in trying to neutralize some of the concerns, recognize that it's going to take these small doc practices time to transition over, if they can address some of those things over this next quarter through the summer as far as, hey, here's how we're going to try to do things to ease it over, not demand perfection on October 1st, I think that may try to neutralize some of the concerns about we have to delay because you don't have this in place. So chronic delay disorder. I'm, I'm wondering if there's a code for that. <laughs> this, this brings us to the million-dollar question, Jim. Is ICD-10 actually going to happen in October 2015? Uh, it's a question I get asked every day at any type of executive steer meetings, and, and I share with them I've lost too many dollar and soda bets over the past couple of years trying to guess what they're going to do. The advice I've given was, that as we headed into this year, we all felt and thought that April 1st was going to be one of those big pivotal events as to milestones as to whether or not we should have confidence that this is going to happen or not. And we had that because that's the deadline that government needs to fix the legislative vehicle that IC-10 was tacked onto last year, putting in either a permanent or another one-year fix to the Medicare sustainable growth rate. So we know that has to be done. Now, after hearing the hearings in February, I've advised folks as how strongly a number of the the, the chairperson and ranking members came out suggesting that we can't have another delay, that they advocate this happening this year. I would have been really surprised if there was any way that they would have supported or allowed, either through their committee or other committees, a delay to be inserted quietly into a piece of legislation totally unrelated to ICD-10. So from that perspective, I don't think that SGR and April 1st is a magical date for us who are watching ICD-10 anymore. Now, the good news, bad news of that is we would have at least had clarity by April 1st as to whether we thought it was going to happen or not. I think what you're going to see now is your more traditional major implementation approach, which as we approach October, Congress 
having open hearings, looking like, is the industry getting ready? So the good news, bad news is that I think they'll have a more productive conversation, maybe later this spring or this summer, as to whether or not they feel that the industry is ready, if enough contingency plans are put in place to allow October 1st to happen. So you know, the quick answer is we're not going to know for certain until September 30th, which doesn't help those of us trying to make decisions on how much resources we put into getting the industry and individual providers ready. But I just don't think that there's any other way to recognize that there'll never be a point until we're there that the industry can exhale and say, okay, I think we're past it. All right, Jim, with that great realistic view, we're running out of time. Before I let you go, where can people go to contact you and learn more about E4 services? Thanks, Joe. Yeah, um, visit us at our, our website, www.e4-services.com. Jim, it's always a great pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much for giving your time, and more importantly, such great insight. Nope, my pleasure. Look All right, that it. wraps our broadcast. On behalf of our guest, Jim Hennessy, I'm Joe Lavelle with my co-host Ray Ann Thorne, and we'll see you soon on Intrepid Healthcare. <laughs>